0: Another quick reminder as we make plans for July the 4th weekend, I wanted to remind you that on July 4th weekend, our Sunday schedule looks a little bit different just for that Sunday. Next Sunday, we will only offer two worship gatherings on July 4th weekend. I keep repeating July 4th, so you make sure you know the date. We will have two services, one at 8.30 in our sanctuary, one at 9.30 in our multi-purpose building. We will only offer preschool ministry at 9.30 only, no children's ministry, no student ministry, so that all of our volunteers, as many as possible, can worship with us. Nothing will be offered on our campus at 11 a.m., giving you the opportunity to celebrate those who serve. Now, that's July 4th. If I could, I wanna take you back to May 30th. If you remember, we had a beautiful time outdoor for our worship service. We had a cookout. We also had what we called a four opportunity. This was an opportunity for us to be for three local food pantries. We donated a a trailer load of food for each. Uh, You also donated a couple thousand dollars for future four days. Now let me explain, what are four days? Rich Fork's mission is shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. Shaping our community happens in many ways. Wheelchair ramps, delivering loads of food, assisting local ministry partners. And we want to invite you to be a part of a couple of four days that are just around the corner in late July. July 27th, July 28th, July 29th are going to be big opportunities for us to impact 100 local teachers and 250 local students by allowing them to come to our facility and shop for school supplies for the upcoming school year. Now, I know you're enjoying your summer, and it may sound as if August is a long way away for school to start, but we have to plan and act now and give the opportunity to serve ahead of time. We want to be for our students and for our teachers. In our lobby today, in person, we have a volunteer ready to answer questions and disperse handouts, one for teacher supplies, one for student supplies. And we need your help in purchasing these supplies for this event. If you're watching online and you want to come by the office, you can call us or we can email you a supply list for teachers and students. If you wanna volunteer, you can also do so by calling the office, checking in at our volunteer table today, or go on our website and click the Four Teachers Student Event page. Again, Four Teachers and Student Volunteer page. Our desire, our hope is to have $100 in school supplies for 100 teachers, $35 of supplies for 250 students from our local elementary schools. Pilot Elementary, Fairgrove Elementary, Liberty Drive and Thomasville Primary. If this goes well, then maybe we can expand this in coming years to be for more schools in our community. I know many of you are teachers and you have students as parents that may attend other schools that we would love to help. We love your heart for our community and we wish we could do this for every school and maybe in the future we can, but this year we're gonna focus on being for these four schools. As the four teachers and students table today, again, you can pick up information about this opportunity as well as donate specifically to that set of dates. Now, that's a lot to cover. We'll keep reminding you with weekly emails to give you a few of those opportunities. We will remind you of those as the weeks go on. But before we continue our series of redemption, would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to celebrate today, redemption. Thank you because As we are redeemed, we become grateful. And as we become grateful, we become servants of yours that pursue godliness. And part of godliness is generosity. Thank you so much for a church that is generous beyond measure. Thank you for opportunities to be for uh, some of our students and teachers in our community. This last year has been so difficult on our teachers. So God, we thank you for giving them the strength to make it through this school year, I pray this summer is uh, encouraging and uplifting to them and may our four days for them also encourage them towards next year. God, be with us today as we approach a a beautiful story of scripture, a scripture that, that I love dearly and have just embraced even more and more this past week. Help us to see that redemption is about a relationship. It's not something out there that we can't grasp or see. It is personal. It is real. And we are going to see an example of that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. For the past three weekends, we have been exploring the story of redemption throughout Scripture and how it is seen on almost every page of Scripture. Today, there are so many redemption moments in the passage, in the undertones and themes in our story, which is the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And I want today to deliver our takeaway for the day at the beginning of our time together. We're going to see this through the story of Ruth today. So let me share that with you before we get into the story. God offers each of us a relationship to a Redeemer. God offers each of us a relationship to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to examine this idea and the story of Ruth in the Bible. Trust me, there are a dozen shining moments that we could spend a sermon upon. But my hope today is to deliver you to the Redeemer in the story and that that Redeemer parallels and gives us a more complete view and glimpse of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Today, I hope you see, I hope you fall in love with the characters of our story. But in the end, I want you to allow this story to pry open your heart and see that the God of all creation desires a relationship with you. One that is personal, one that is life-giving, one that is compassion, one that is full of compassion, and one that is full of grace and forgiveness. Redemption is about a relationship. So let's jump into the book of Ruth. For years, it felt as if every movie began with the line, once upon a time, and it ended with, and they lived, yes, happily ever after. Although the language of the beginning and the end of Ruth is not given in those phrases, those phrases really could bookend our story. When you open the story, we open with a quick history lesson followed by the introduction of our characters. Now, we have a lot of scripture to cover today. We'll start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon And Kilion, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. A couple of details I want to make sure we cover. This is happening during a season of chaos in the world. Destruction and turmoil for all people. It starts by saying it's in the middle of the season of the judges. Scripture says in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. No rules. Sounds a little familiar to the mantra of culture today. Elimelech, he's the father. He's the patriarch of the family. He leaves the town of Bethlehem in search of food. He takes his wife, Naomi, and the two sons, Malon and Kilion. Elimelech and his family are Israelites, and they're in search of food, During a famine, they're part of God's chosen people. He leaves town, heads out of the famine. He dies. His sons get married to Moabite women, which was not an approved move for an Israelite family. The sons then die. And the fact that the sons and their wives did not have children, many would have viewed as judgment for their marrying outside of the Israelite people to Moabite women. If you could imagine chapter one having a soundtrack at this point, it would be dismal, slow, dark, weary. Five verses are tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Naomi from Bethlehem is in a foreign land with daughter-in-laws who come from a different culture different ethnicity, she has no grandchildren, she has no source of income, she has no direction. There is no hint of redemption. There's not a drop of hope. Listen to the next act of desperation for Naomi. Word is out, the famine back home is over, and Naomi is going to travel back to the land and people that she knows. In verse 6-15 through gives us this account. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this might this, this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law, she's gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi is begging her daughters-in-law to stay with their homeland, stay with your family. She has nothing to offer. Stay with your custom. Stay with your tradition. Stay even with your worship. But again, if you were creating the soundtrack, this dismal, slow tempo, the next three verses we're about to read would shift the mood. A jump of the strings on the soundtrack. A a quick but brief pickup in the tempo. This moment and action from Ruth is the turn in our story. from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth has made the decision of a lifetime to go with her mother in law, Naomi, who did not appear to be excited about a traveling companion. She said nothing. But redemption is rising. But please understand what Ruth is choosing here. She's choosing a change of location. Yes, where you go, I go. She's choosing a change of home life. Where you lodge, I lodge. She is choosing a change of her community. Your people become my people. She is even choosing a different worship. Your God, my God. She is even choosing where she will be laid to rest. There I will be buried. I love Alistair Begg's summary of this moment. He said, Ruth's decision was either Yahweh plus nothing by going to Bethlehem or everything minus Yahweh in Moab. This is a turning moment that will change her future. I recall when Emily and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky for our seminary education time, our awesome dads drove us and our, they drove our moving truck. It was a 16-foot moving truck. Uh, it wasn't even close to full. We unloaded that night in just a short time. And the next day, they headed back to North Carolina. We were there. Our time in Kentucky was profoundly positive and it impacted our marriage and our ministry. But the moment they pulled away, it was a no-turning-back moment. We paid our rent for two months Neither of us had a job, we had groceries for a few weeks, two cars that were, we'll just say less than great. We had less than $1,000 to our name, no turning back. I have no doubt that some of you that are watching online that you have had one or many no turning back moments. Maybe you would even be willing to press pause here on the video and reminisce about those type of moments. This is a no turning back moment for Ruth. This moment in our story is everything. Two unlikely traveling companions, Naomi and Ruth, they arrive back in Naomi's hometown, but it was a small town. And small towns, well, let's just take a read. Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women, the women in town said, Is this Naomi? The town is buzzing. She's been gone for over 10 years. She left with her husband, with her two sons, in hope of food in the middle of a famine and returned with no heritage, no future, nothing is this Naomi? Is she unrecognizable because of her aging and grief? Could this be her? And in her weariness, she declares in verse 20 and 21, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity? Upon me. She renames herself. Her name of choice, Mara. This name had a history to the Israelite people, her people. You see, in the Exodus, when God's children complained about their provisions from God, that they were tired of God's provision being the same every day, the location of their grumbling was an area called Mara. When you think that the story could not go any lower, it does. Now we have an embarrassed empty Israelite woman. She comes home, not to a greeting of great to see you, but the greeting is, ooh, she's aged. Ooh, is that even her? She's got no husband. She's got no sons. She's got no grandchildren. Is this even her? Verse 22, say, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, were with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Bethlehem at harvest time. Now, I cannot begin to unpack every nuance of our story. You simply have to read it for yourself. It's the harvest season and a tradition of the people of this season and at this time period is that as they would go out to bring in the harvest, they would intentionally leave part of the grain behind so those in the community who had no harvest could come and glean and provide for themselves. Ruth goes to work. She goes to work in the season of harvest to provide for her mother-in-law. Chapter 2. But Naomi had a relative of her husband's. A worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was called, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. The soundtrack, it changes again. The sun's rising. While there's not yet hope in front of us, the pieces are coming together. Notice her attitude. I'm going to the field and I'm going to find favor, approval, acceptance, hope. A quick summary of this chapter and of the next. A relationship begins. Ruth goes to the field of Boaz. She works hard. She gains favor. Boaz takes notice and the theme of favor is upon Ruth, but also of Boaz. Boaz. In verse 5, he is the landowner walking through the field and he's declaring the goodness of God. The Lord be with you. And the people reply, the Lord bless you. Remember, this is a period and rule and reign where there are no rules, upheaval. There's disregard for human life all around this guy, but he is declaring, bless you. The Lord bless you. And they reply. And there she is, a new worker. He's not aware of her. Who is she? Boaz takes notice of Ruth and goes to her and says, Don't glean the harvest anymore anywhere else. The men won't touch you here. If you're thirsty, drink from the well. Essentially, I'll provide. He's going to provide a Moabite to drink from the Israelite well. This relationship to the Redeemer that Boaz is going to be changes all the rules. It redefines her past, and hope is rising. A glimpse into their conversation, verse 10 through 13. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. You see what we begin to take notice of? The relationship to the Redeemer, Ruth, to Boaz, is one of favor. The relationship to the Redeemer is unexpected. The relationship to the Redeemer is not distant. The relationship to the Redeemer in our story is not defined by the status of her past, of her ethnicity, of her background. Ruth goes home for the evening. I don't know if she spun and danced her way home, but she had been cared for. She had been protected, fed provided for, she'd been heard. Even her act of desperation to come to Bethlehem with Naomi is taken into account by Boaz. Now, are you ready for this moment? The mood is about to shift again. Redemption is just around the corner. Verse 17 through 19. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an epa ip- an of barley. She took it up, went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. If you can try to see this moment with me, we don't completely comprehend the culture and the heritage of what his relationship is totally, but we're going to try to grasp. Ruth recalls her day to a bitter downtrodden, Naomi, renamed Mara. And she says, the man I worked with today is Boaz. Mother-in-law moment of history 101. My mind has her jump up, click her feet together, crank up the fire, put the bread in the oven, and she's thinking, this might be our answer. Why? Because Boaz is more than a nice man. He's more than a good employer. He is more than a knight in shining armor. Naomi cannot contain her excitement. The relationship is not only from Ruth to Boaz, but it is from a widowed Naomi with a widowed daughter-in-law. Ruth has come face to face with what their heritage and culture would call a kinsman redeemer. Verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he who be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Please, a redeemer was not simply a family friend, a Goel, the Old Testament word for Redeemer. He could purchase a family member out of slavery. A Redeemer could redefine the family, they could provide, they could protect, they could even marry a a widow of a family member, they could take on their debts, and yes, their assets of all land and property. I can't emphasize this moment enough. A Redeemer could intervene in the most dire of circumstances, such as this, A redeemer had the right and the choice to take all the responsibility, all the debts, all the hardships and redeem them. A redeemer would bear the burdens of the redeemed as his own. Naomi came alive. There's hope. Naomi goes 100% bachelorette in this moment in her planning for Ruth. Uh, The plan is outlined and it's carried out in chapter three. You have to read it for yourself. I know this if I've done a, a decent job in describing up to this moment of the situation, then you will want to read the unraveling of this plan. But the word redeemer is the focus of chapter three. Six times in three verses, the word for redeemer is emphasized. The relationship of Ruth to Boaz, the Redeemer, is clearly evident. She goes to him in an act of service, but he, once again, raises her to a new level, not of a servant, but one in need of redemption. The result, Boaz, full of honor for Ruth, full of grace as the Redeemer, He goes to the town council, he heads to the gate of the city as custom with the elders, and he prepares to become the Redeemer. Plot twist. Every story has one. According to their customs, there was an order to being redeemed. Easily stated for us to comprehend is a a second cousin could not jump a first cousin on the redemption chart. There's an order. And Boaz steps in as the redeemer. He realizes that there is another redeemer in front of him. The offer is made to this redeemer. He wants the land, but he doesn't want the responsibility of a wife, Ruth, as a part of the legal proceedings. So redemption now falls to Boaz. He steps in. He pursues his calling. Yes, this is a legal and customary transaction, but do not limit the beauty of this moment to that fact. Boaz is breaking custom and he's marrying outside the Israelite line. He's offering a future. He's offering grace. He's offering hope to Ruth, the widow, but he's also offering to Naomi. Our story comes to this conclusion again. Go back, read, underline Redeemer, highlight Ruth, Boaz, and the cast of characters because you're going to find a few nuggets of wisdom. Let me just quickly, you'll find find if you dig in that the town of Bethlehem, it's pretty historic, it's home to Naomi. For our story, it becomes the birthplace of redemption. Later on, a king named David would roam the countryside with his flocks, and he came from Bethlehem, but another redeemer would come from this land on a silent night to Bethlehem. That's right, Jesus Christ. If you unpack the word Bethlehem a little bit more, then what you'll see is that Jesus Christ, who called himself the bread of life, is born in a town that's called the house of bread. Again, you have to dig in. Take time on your own, and you'll uncover the deeper meanings of every name of every character in the story. The history is all around our plot. You could learn the cultural lessons about the harvest season and the threshers and the provision for the poor. Study the word that describes Boaz and his care. It is the word hesed. It's his love for Ruth. It is the most powerful description of love from one person to another in all of the Old Testament those are just a few sideline moments that we could only briefly touch upon. Now, we can't end our conversation regarding Ruth without seeing the culmination of the relationship between Ruth and Boaz. So let's read verse 13 through 17 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This moment is not fictional, it's historical. This moment is not an animated fairy tale. It's real, it's painful, it's redeemed, it's hopeful. This moment is a story that is a part of a bigger story. The lineage of David who was in the line of Jesus. The closing verses. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. It's history. It's redemption. Pick any one of these themes and many others, any one of these moments and stand in awe of the beautiful story. But I want to bring you back around to this. Redemption is from the beginning to the end about a relationship. This relationship from Boaz to Ruth, restored brought life, future, hope, joy and shifted the view of everyone in town to declare one who had seemingly been cursed, Naomi, to one of joy, peace, and rescue. This is redemption. And this story parallels the gospel of Jesus Christ in more ways than than I even have time to point out. But know this. God offers each of us a relationship to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Your Redeemer, my Redeemer, the only one worthy to redeem you, to rescue you, is not an earthly relationship, no matter how great he or she is in life, no matter what is promised or what wealth you've acquired. No, your Redeemer put a plan in motion for you to have a relationship with you. Your Redeemer is Jesus. Jesus, the Redeemer, Scripture says, was a servant in Philippians two. Jesus, the Redeemer, paid the price for you by His death. Philippians two eight. Again, in Philippians chapter two, verse nine through eleven, Jesus is the Redeemer for all people. Every tribe, every nation, you might be Moabite. You might be from out of town. You might live in a town of strangers, but you are not to him. He takes your debt. He takes your abandonment. He takes your hopelessness. And he steps in to redeem. Jesus is the redeemer who brings you into his family. Jesus is the Redeemer and offers forgiveness by His blood. Jesus is the Redeemer who pours out His grace with abundance. He holds nothing back. Jesus, the Redeemer, invites us to call Him Father. You see, the story of Ruth paints a romantic, beautiful Epic picture of our desperate need for a redeemer. Our redeemer is not Boaz or a mere man, but God made flesh, born of a woman, fulfilling the promise of a coming redeemer, loving us like no other. Jesus is our redeemer. And God offers each of us a relationship to the redeemer. Do you have a relationship to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He desires to have one with you. Scripture tells us that if we will confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us. He desires to redeem us with compassion, grace, mercy, and truth. Have you trusted in Him as your Redeemer for Him to give you life and pour His grace out on you more abundantly. Do you have a relationship with the Redeemer, Jesus Christ? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to know that you can begin a relationship with the Redeemer by calling out His name, by declaring your sinfulness, my sinfulness. We all have sinned by asking for His forgiveness for Him to redeem you. He can redeem you from your desperation, from your hopelessness. He can redeem you from your difficulties and the difficulties that you are in. You may have to deal with the consequence of sin, but He will be there to strengthen you, to guide you, to redeem you, to rescue you. He's paid a price for you. He desires a relationship with you. Do you have a relationship with the Redeemer? Let's pray. God, today, I don't know where each person watching this is in their faith. We can look at this story and stand back and go, wow, that's beautiful. It's romantic. It's full of tragedy, it's an incredible plot, it could be made into a movie, and those are all true. But it gives us a picture of a redeemer who did not look upon someone because of where they were from. He did not look upon them because of what they did or did not have. He looked upon them and saw someone who, with grace, served others, with desire, took care of others. He he looked upon, he wanted and developed a relationship with her. God, help us to see the parallels in this story. May this, for some, pry open their heart and for them to know that you, God, desire a relationship with them. And your word tells us that through the sacrifice, through the death of Jesus Christ, we can experience redemption, rescue from our sins through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that those that are watching online know that they, in the quietness of their home, can simply say, redeem me, God. Rescue me. Forgive me. And you will be faithful to begin a relationship with them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, back when we were online early in 2020, you had the opportunity, if you were watching online, to respond immediately and let us know that you'd made a decision for Christ. That's not so much the case now because this video is recorded and posted a little bit later. But I do want to challenge you that if today you prayed and today you said, I desire to be redeemed, forgiven, rescued through Jesus Christ, I want you to know what an honor it would be, not only for you to begin your relationship with your heavenly father, but if you would humble us as a church and begin a relationship with us. You can reach out to me directly, michael at richfork.com. You could email our church and it would be given to someone that would be appropriate based on your age or your background or what's going on in your life And just say info at richfork.com, or you can go on to our next step section of our website at richfork.com, scroll down and click on the first time guest area, and there there's an open spot if you would like to let us know that that you've been redeemed, that you began a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Thank you so much for your time and your attention. Now, spend your afternoon, reread Ruth, and most importantly know that God desires a relationship to the Redeemer.